It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November third, two thousand sixteen. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good. Um, Virtual Bible study. Good to be with you as Make well. Make sure all those buttons are pushed right. They weren't right earlier today. They're, they're still not right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, go ahead. Uh, no, not that's better. Was, was I on? Were you hearing me? I got you. All right. Glad to be with you tonight. Yeah, glad to be with you. And uh, Kyle's behind the board again, second week in a row. Kyle, welcome to the program. That's glad to be here. Glad to have you with us tonight. And uh, look forward to an important discussion. Before we do, though, we should uh, remind our listeners what they missed the gospel meeting last week, but we're going to throw them all in the podcast feed later tonight. Okay, we've got them ready to go up on the podcast. We had some really good preaching last week. Uh, of course, on Thursday night, uh, our listeners got a chance to get a taste of that when we uh, had Alan Yader join us following the preaching on Thursday night. We had him join us for the virtual Bible study and had a good discussion. Just We had a good meeting, a really good meeting, very encouraging, and I hope uh, that you you get a taste of that by listening to the podcast yeah. version. Hold on to your your smartphone when you go to update your podcast feed because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming down and it uh, is going to hit you hard. It doesn't take long though. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. But uh, check out our podcast feed. I had to tell someone about that uh, just the other day. You want to check it out? Go to the sign up resources on the website collegeview.com. Find out how to get that podcast feed or find us on iTunes if you have an iPhone. We're on iTunes as well. You want to check out the College View Sermon podcast? It's real easy podcast. to do. I can do it. It's easy. Yeah, even you can do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got an important discussion tonight, and we need to get right to it because there's going to be a lot to talk about. Yeah, we came across an article written by a, a man named Dr. Robert Morey. Uh, he's a Baptist preacher. Uh, he's got a website, and I just now forgot to bring with me from my printer in there uh, sort of his bio. He's out in California. He has a... Uh, uh, a website of, about Christian apologetics. Are you looking it up, Kyle? I, I will. Yeah, Kyle's going to get us maybe that link. Okay. Uh, he's got quite a bit of information there. He he is the uh, I think the founder and principal uh, person of a, a religious training. Uh, it's an unaccredited college uh, in California, uh, but he he does a lot of work uh, on the internet putting out articles and and so forth on various subjects. And he has done quite a bit in defending the Baptist position on baptism not being essential for salvation. And in an article that we're going to concentrate on, 12 Reasons Why Baptism is Not Essential for Salvation by Dr. Robert Morey. In our update earlier today, we gave you the link to that website uh, and... uh, you, you can go there if you want, or we're going to be summarizing that article and talking about his 12 points. I think, Jacob, this is probably going to be a two-parter. Yeah. I think there's so much information here and so much to respond to that we'll probably try to take about half of it tonight and, and then probably finish up next week, Lord willing. Yeah, I look forward to it. And our hack research department has some information on his uh, it's, on his bio. Uh, it, uh, it's Faith Defenders? Is that, uh, yeah, Faith Defenders. That's yeah. the name of his and website. Click on the About section. It just has his full uh, his picture in the bio right there. So Yeah, yeah, you can read all about him and he uh, about his educational background. But, it, but he... Basically, I mean, what I would say about him, he's a Baptist preacher, and he and and the arguments he offers, although I would say probably get a little deeper than yeah. sometimes Baptists try to get, uh, pretty standard fare. Pretty standard, but that little maybe a little bit of different twist, or said a little bit differently, and as you said, a little more thoroughly yeah. uh, than some, but uh, definitely nothing that could be it can't be answered. Uh, and shown to be incorrect. So we'll so talk if, about that tonight. So if you were, uh, oh, Kyle, you you tried to put that link yeah, there, didn't right. you? Wait a minute. Maybe I can clear it up. Let's that's, see. That's all right. Okay. Um, so uh, I can't get that. Yeah. Let us. Let us. Uh, let's. Let's get started on this all right. tonight. So um, 
uh, we're not going to take the time to go uh, and, and read all of that in advance. We'll just read them one step at a time yeah. as we go through his 12, 12 arguments. And we're just going to probably try to deal with six of them tonight. Uh, but a, a couple of things, Jacob, before we get into that specifically. One is this guy is a, is a rare bird in our day and time in that he is actually try, tries to make a defense of his position. That's good. And that's a good thing. You know, uh, it, because it does matter, especially on a subject like this, where yeah. we say uh, baptism is required for salvation. He says it's not. That's an important issue to settle. Yeah, and there's only uh, there's only two possible positions on that. There's no yeah. middle ground here. Right. Either baptism is necessary for the remission of sins, or it is not. And it, it is as an either or question. He says it's not. We say it is. It's good for us to debate our cause and to try to prove our point from the scriptures. That's what he tries to do, and that's what we want to do. And and so, in that sense, you know, I think it's a it's a, a good thing yep. that there are at least still a few people out there who feel some compulsion to defend what they believe and teach. And that's what we see him doing here. So that that's okay. Some of his words probably uh, could be taken to be rather harsh. But I know sometimes we sound, we're interpreted as being harsh when we try to defend the truth. We so definitely I mean, don't want to do, be we, uh, we, interpreted that way. No, but I mean, anytime that someone, anytime you tell someone that they're wrong, you, you probably could be interpreted as being harsh. You're not just kind of accepting whatever they say. If you're disagreeing at all, some people accuse you of being harsh or sharp. Uh, I don't think he is necessarily, and I hope. Nobody would think that we are when we try to respond to what he has said. Uh, uh, if if we believe these things, then there's there's a certain uh, passion or zeal that goes along with believing these things. And when you express that, when he expresses his view, you see it in his comments. I think when we express our view, you see it in our view, uh, in in our words as well. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview dot com. Twelve reasons why baptism is not essential for salvation. One other thing, I one other point along that line before we get to this first point. You know, back in the day when when all religious activity in America was prospering, not just churches of Christ were growing. At one time, churches of Christ were the fastest growing religious organization in America, but Baptists were growing rapidly in those days too. What, what was it? Well, people were adamantly defending their positions. Yeah. Now that the world has kind of given over to ecumenicalism, what are we seeing? We're seeing a decline in religious activity. And, and so, you know, people could say, well, yeah, if you're going to really, if, if I don't like to argue because argument turns people off. You know, that's not actually true. Historically, yeah. when people argued their cause, religion was growing in America. Yeah, that's amazing. Now that they've stopped arguing their cause, People just pass it off. It's, it's not a good point. It's a good point. Now it's all about the uh, the theatrics, the, the the stage lighting, and the smoke generators, and yeah. and the band, and all yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point. I've got a I've got a Bible a, a book a debate that was published 150 years ago on this subject from El, up in Illinois. Two people got together to talk about baptism. The debate went on, I believe, nine days or 12 days, yeah. morning and evening sessions, yeah. talking about these important issues. Yeah. And uh, people were very interested in that. Now, probably wouldn't get that kind of Oh, no. People don't, people don't want to hear it. And that's unfortunate, I think. Okay, okay. So, so we commend Dr. Robert Morey uh, in that sense, that he's at least willing to defend what he believes. Let's okay. start out. His first reason why baptism is not essential for salvation is because... The Campbells would be lost. Let me read what he says. Um, he says, if, Campbellite, if the Campbellite doctrine of baptism is true, then, very few, then, very, then the very men who founded the Restoration Movement, which later developed into the Church of Christ, uh, the Church of Christ churches, they were never saved themselves. All Thomas and Alexander Campbell had was the infant baptism they received from the Presbyterians and the adult baptism they received from the Baptists. They were never baptized a third time in order to obtain the remission of sins. According to the Campbellite doctrine of baptism, and that is according to the Campbellite doctrine of baptism, how can the Campbellite church, gospel, and baptism be of God when the men who restored those very things were unsaved children of the devil according to their own teachings? All right. Uh, 
I had a, I had a, got an email from our friend Ramona. We haven't heard from Ramona in quite a while. She was a little confused about this, the word Campbell or Campbellite, yep. what that means. Um, Certainly is not a title that we accept. It is used in derision. Uh, by those who would disagree with us, but uh, certainly not a title that we uh, we claim. Yeah, there were two men. Thomas was the father, his son Alexander. Thomas and Alexander Campbell. That's who Dr. Moray uh, uh, references here in his in his uh, article. Uh, they were men who had thoughts of restoring Christianity back to what it was in the in the very beginning. Go all the way back to the New Testament. Go be be Christians like the Christians we read about in our Bibles. Let the church be organized, function, and worship in the same way that they did in the first century. We admire that concept, mm-hmm. uh, and and yeah. that's what we try to do. That's what we're trying to do too. But it but we are not doing that in allegiance to Thomas or Alexander Campbell, and those men did not start the Church of Christ. Uh, Churches of Christ existed long before Thomas and Alexander Campbell were ever born. They they existed in the United States before the Campbells arrived here uh, as immigrants. Uh, so uh, you know to say that they started this this uh, church is a mistake. We believe it is the church. We're trying to be the church that you read about in the New Testament, and we offer no personal allegiance to the Campbells. We are not Campbellites. We are not following them. Uh, and their personal doctrines. We're following the scriptures. And so I, I do think that that's sort of a term of derision. And there's a few quotes here. The Campbells themselves understood that, that, that they weren't seeking anyone to be their followers. Uh, uh, Camp, uh, Alexander Campbell said in uh, uh, 18, uh, 1826, he said, Some religious editors in Kentucky call those who are desirous of seeing the ancient order of things restored the Campbellites. This may go well with some, but all who fear God and keep his commands will pity and deplore the weakness and folly of those who either think to convince or to persuade by such means. Uh, he says, you know, that, that if that's their best argument is to, to, to discount this teaching by ridiculing people with a name, he says, if that's the best they've got, they haven't got much. Uh, yeah. A couple of years later, he wrote about the word Campbellism. He said, it's a nickname of reproach in, invented and adopted by those whose views, feelings, and desires are all sectarian, who cannot conceive of Christianity in other, any other light than an ism. Uh, when, he, when he was in New Orleans, a local newspaper characterized him as the founder of a denomination. He didn't like that. He said, quote, you have done me, gentlemen, too much honor in saying I am the founder of the denomination, quite numerous and respectable in many portions of the West technically known as Christians, but more commonly as Campbellites. I have always repudiated all human heads and human names for the people of the Lord and shall feel very thankful if you will correct the erroneous impression which your article may have made in thus representing me as the founder of a religious denomination. Yeah. He didn't want that. And so and that's not what he was trying to do. What he was trying to do was to revert back to simple New Testament Christianity. We believe that's a noble cause we try to do the same thing, but we're not doing it in allegiance to Alexander or Thomas Campbell. No, no, their their their, their idea was go back to the pl- the pattern, the New Testament, and do things according to the New Testament to restore uh, Christianity as God had laid it out in the first century. Now let's just make a parallel. Let's say that uh, that we went up to Michigan and we got digging around in an old factory and we found uh, plans for a Model T automobile. And uh, we we said, well, we're going we're going to make us another one of those. Would someone come along and say, oh, Greg Gwynn invented the Model T? No, he restored it. He just Made used the like plans. It. Made yeah. one like it. Yeah. And they wouldn't start calling all Model Ts Gwynns. They'd call them Fords because they you just took the plans and yeah. applied them. Exactly right. It's good a good analogy. It's not uh, we're not following Alexander Campbell. We're following yeah. the plan. And, yeah. and frankly, uh, we don't study Alexander Campbell. We don't. I, that's a really good point. You know, I've I've been preaching here at this congregation for 18 years, and and I have never taught a course on Alexander Campbell. I have I've I've very rarely ever quoted him, and typically only quoted him as we did tonight to prove that he didn't want to be called the founder of a denomination. That right. He didn't want people following him or allegiance to him. 
We also have quoted him in regards to some of the things we disagree with him about. You know, some of the things that Alexander Campbell did, we do not agree. We don't think he got all the way back. We don't think that he fully restored New Testament Christianity and was in error in some points. Uh, and when we see that, we specify that. And if you don't, uh, if you find that a little bit hard to believe, come in, uh, to some of our assemblies and you'll find what we're looking at is our Bibles. We're not looking at books written by men. We're not referencing referencing catechisms or works by folks like Martin Luther or John Calvin. We're looking at the Bible. We don't have. We don't bring yeah. volumes written by the Campbells to worship with us so we can study from them. We study yeah. from the Bible. Exactly. And really, Alexander Campbell is not the issue here. The issue is, what does the Bible teach about baptism? Yep. Uh, and, and, it is interesting. There's a little historical note that, that Alexander Campbell actually was baptized. He was baptized as an infant. He was later baptized, uh, as Moray says, he had been baptized uh, by the uh, uh, Presbyterians. But he later requested and was baptized by immersion. And a Baptist, actually a Baptist preacher, baptized him by immersion based upon his simple confession of faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, But anyway, it really doesn't matter. It honestly doesn't matter because we're not following Campbell in this matter at all. All right. Uh, Kent in, in Georgia says, It is not our desire for any individuals to be lost. However, that is not the issue. The New Testament affirms that baptism is a condition of salvation from past alien sins. Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16, Galatians 3, 27, 1 Peter 3, 21. Thomas and Alexander Campbell are not the founders of the New Testament church. Like all other accountable individuals, they were amenable to the New Testament of Christ. If they die without scriptural baptism and in a lost condition, that does not change my responsibility to God and my need to obey the gospel of Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, I think like Kent's saying the same thing. What, whatever was the case with them is inconsequential to us. Now, if we were trying to be Campbellites, that would mean that we're trying to follow them exactly. And so that might have implications for us. But since we're not following them, we're following the New Testament their condition really makes no difference. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from Chris in, in England. We haven't heard from Chris in a while. Chris, hear great from you, to Chris. Hear, you, hear from you again. He says, if belief saved you, then being misguided about or lacking a proper baptism is surely a moot point, is it not? In other words, he's saying, why would he even make it? I mean, what yeah. would... But he's saying, in our view, I think that they would be lost, but he would not necessarily think they'd be lost, yeah. uh, the writer well, of the article. Th- that's right, but he he's, yeah. I think that's right. But, again, if salvation is by faith and faith only, then whether you were baptized or how you were baptized would, wouldn't matter. Now, Chris says here, he begins his uh, response to us tonight. When you keep this in, in mind as we look at his uh, responses, he says, not saying I agree with all I write, but his arguments, I think, are bogus and why someone would be able to rebuke them easily. Uh, don't know if these are helpful or not. So he, so Chris doesn't necessarily agree that baptism is required yeah, for salvation, but he's dealing the years, with the arguments. Through the years, we've we've had interaction with Chris in England, and, and we know that he is probably not on board with us 100% about what we teach about the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins, but he says he, he can see that these arguments can be answered. All right. All right, 877-381-4567. We are over time for our break. I can see how this is going to go tonight. It's going to take more than a week to get through 12, um, which is pretty much a physical impossibility. But uh, we're going to get as far as we can tonight, and we'll look forward to your comments. Why not uh, take some time to send them in the chat room? Lots of folks signed in there. Or give us a call. The line is toll-free and open for you, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. I'm Trent Haynes, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a reminder about the update mailing list for the virtual Bible study. Every Thursday shortly after noon, an email message is sent out with information about the topic for discussion on that evening's program. You're invited to start sending feedback and comments that are then included during the broadcast. If you'd like to be added to our update list, just send a message to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list in the subject line. That's all there is to it. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Be careful of your thoughts. They may become words at any moment. A blind man who sees is better than a seeing man who is blind. Character is much easier kept than recovered. Where one goes hereafter depends largely upon what one goes after here. Man, wish I'd said that. 
Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And they're hearing crickets in the chat room tonight. Totally silent yeah, we in got there. A lot, a lot of people are in there, but n- nobody's talking. So yeah, the cat got their fingers. They don't want to type. Yeah, yeah, so get busy and give us some feedback there in the chat room. Right. Let's, let's go to our second point. With 12 points, Dr. Robert Morey. Why baptism is not essential for salvation. We think he's wrong. We think all of his points are wrong. And we're trying to show from the scriptures why they are wrong. Number two, he said, John the Baptist, baptism did not save anyone, although it was done, quote, for the remission of sins. Mark 1 verse 4. John clearly stated that his baptism was only of water in contrast to Jesus' baptism, which would be of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3.11. When this is added to the fact that people who had John's baptism were rebaptized with Christian baptism, Acts 19, beginning verse 1, it's clear that John's baptism did not save anyone. Since John's baptism did not save anyone, then such terminology as for remission of sins does not imply baptismal remission. This logically removes many of the arguments used by baptismal regenerationists. Now, that's what he would refer to us as baptismal regenerationists. He says that for the remission of sins, that that terminology doesn't really mean that it's for the remission and of sins. And he uses a little bit of backwards logic here for that. So he says if John's baptism, it's a little bit circular, if John's baptism was for the remission of sins, well, he says, he makes a claim without any proof that John's baptism didn't save anybody, therefore... Formation of sins doesn't mean that you're saved. I think John. I, I would. I would disagree with his with his argument. I think John's baptism was for that purpose to those people to whom it was preached, and during the time in which it was in effect, it was for remission of sins. I mean, th- that's clearly what First John or First uh, Chapter of Mark, verse four says. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Uh, Now, it's interesting that that expression in English and in Greek is the same expression found in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper. He he gave them the cup. He took the cup, verse 27, Matthew 26, verse 27. He took the cup and gave thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, now, was his blood not for the remission of sins? Uh, if, if, if what we're reading here is true from Dr. Robert Morey, then Jesus didn't shed his blood for the remission of sins either. That, that, that his blood shed in his dying on the cross has nothing to do with the remission of sins. I mean, if, not, if if that's not true, why not? He's throwing out the baby with the bathwater because he has to throw out that verse to throw out Acts 2.38, which is what he's really wanting to get to. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins is what they were told in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Well, that obviously looks on the surface like baptism is required for salvation. We can't have that, so we need to throw that out. Well, we'll throw that out by saying that well, John's baptism for remission of sins wasn't for remission of sins. Well, if you do that, then you're throwing out Jesus' death on the cross being for remission of sins. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 uh, the first thing is I would disagree with his argument that John's baptism w- was not, it didn't save anyone. It was necessary for the, and, and, I, and I'm trying to think, and I, someone in the chat room will help me with this, I know. One place Jesus criticized the Pharisees for not being, for rejecting the counsel of God against themselves when they were not submitting to the baptism of John. Uh, and that that, yeah. that verse was just on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think where that is. Someone in the chat room will have to help me with that. Uh, for those to whom that message was preached in a, in a, in a preparatory uh, fashion as uh, uh, John was preparing the way for Christ, those people had to do that. It was a necessary thing, and those who heard that message and rejected it were condemned by the Lord. You got Mark not, seven verse nine. Mark seven verse nine. Yeah. So they were they were condemned for rejecting the instructions, so they could follow their own uh, commands. 
in Mark 7, verse 9. Uh, and two, well, you reject the commandment of God. Well, may you keep your tradition. Sorry. Um, that's not it. No, that's I'm not sorry. it. That's not it. That's the same expression, but that's not it. Somebody in the chat room, find that for us and, and help us out with that. Um, <clears throat> he's, he makes a point about why did they have to be baptized again? If, if it saved them, why did they have to be baptized again? And he references a case in in Acts chapter 19 when Paul came to Ephesus. He found some men who did not know about salvation in Christ Jesus. They had been baptized uh, with the baptism of John, but they did not know. Uh, he said uh, in Acts chapter 19, came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then Paul uh, then said, Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, here's a case of some men who had not been baptized in the name of Christ in the time period in which the gospel of Christ was being preached. Right. And and so now, basically, all we're all that's provable by that uh, passage is that John's baptism was for a limited time. That time had now ended. Now, baptism in the name of Christ was being preached, and they needed to submit to that. That's and that's and true. verse four of Acts 19 that you read there. Tells that he say he was preaching to them that they should believe on him who should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Uh, he was pointing to Christ and uh, the new dispensation, the New Testament would be living under under Christ. Yeah. Uh, so certainly, uh, John's baptism isn't critical to the discussion, other than the fact this idea of remission of sins, which he'd like to throw out, saying, "Well, that wasn't really remission yeah. of sins," but we can see from the the new covenant under Christ that it was. Yeah, that's really the, his argument hinges on whether or not four remission of sins means four remission of sins or not. Yeah, uh, we're not practicing John's baptism. John's baptism was for a very limited duration of time. Those who were baptized with John's baptism were baptized again later. I think it's pretty interesting in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when when the people on Pentecost heard the gospel being preached. And they ask, men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.37. Peter's answer to them all was, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I argue from that. I don't know. I know that there are people who don't agree, but I argue from that that even those who had been rightly baptized by John were baptized again in the name of Christ because Peter didn't say, well, if you've already been baptized by John, you don't need to do anything. But if you haven't been baptized by John, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't make that distinction to the whole assembled crowd. He said you need to be baptized that in the name of Jesus backed Christ. Backed up by the, what we read in Acts chapter 19. I think so. John's baptism was for a limited time, but but you got to take the Scripture. Uh, words mean things, and for the remission of sins means for the remission of sins. In the chat room, Jared says, John taught under a different law than we are under today, so point number two isn't relevant to us today. And Rick says, if Jesus' blood was because of remission of sins, Jesus died in vain. Uh, it was useless since, according to denominational teaching, the sins were already forgiven because of indicates something that was has already taken place, according to those uh, of the same persuasion as Dr. Moray. Uh, the issue is, was Jesus' death necessary? And that's, uh, you know, he'd like to look at uh, John's baptism and that phrase for remission of sins and use some twisted logic to get around the fact that baptism is for the remission of sins. We'd like to look at Jesus' death for the remission of sins and say, well, if it was for the remission of sins, then baptism is required in order to receive that blessing. Yeah. All right. Uh, Philip says, too many people fail to have a proper understanding of history and the events recorded there. Many lessons to be learned from the restoration movement in which the motto was speak where the Bible speaks, keep silent where the Bible is silent. And that is where Campbell, Barton Stone, and others spoke so much on the subject of baptism. And it really was uh, the, the, the movement, the restoration movement, wasn't about forming a denomination. It was about, it was a, a plead for unity and unification and, uh, and a realization that if we follow man, men's creeds, uh, and d- doctrines of men, uh, then the only thing we can expect is division. And uh, the restoration movement was about 
getting rid of those denominations, getting rid of that division, going back to one single absolute standard, that standard being the truths of the gospel. And if we can do that, then we can, by default, have unity and uh, get rid of the division we see in the religious world today. I, I think I found the verse I was thinking of earlier. Uh, Luke 7, verse 30, uh, it says, The Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of John. It was a command. Yeah. And rejecting the commands of God, well, we know what that causes you to be, causes yeah. you to be lost. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's grab a, let's grab our uh, break. We're going to have to go a little bit faster here if we're going to get done. All right. Number three coming up. Well, Jesus didn't baptize anybody according to the claim, and therefore it wouldn't be required for salvation. What about that argument? Answer that in the chat room tonight. Jesus didn't baptize anybody, therefore baptism must not be all that important. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There can be no doubt that the Lord expects every congregation of his people to be active and growing. He told all of the seven churches of Asia in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 that he was aware of their activity. He began his assessment of each church with the statement, quote, I know thy works. We would be seriously mistaken to imagine that he does not make the same observation of all churches today. So we must be active and growing. But while seeking to be so, there are some errors to avoid. First, don't equate increased numbers with real growth. Yes, growth usually means an increase in the physical size of the congregation, but not always. There are instances where the kind of growing that God desires will actually result in lower numbers. The rapidly growing church in Jerusalem actually lost members in the case of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. The church at Corinth was condemned because an immoral brother had not been, quote, taken away from among you, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2. So growing sometimes means losing numbers in order to please God. Second, do not confuse commotion with beneficial God-honoring activity. Seems some brethren think that keeping things stirred up is a good thing, and so they constantly are bringing up controversial subjects or suggesting ill-conceived plans that force an unnecessary tumult. These folks apparently have missed the analogy of the church to a flock of sheep. Just as sheep do best when kept calm, so also the church. We do not need or want unnecessary stress and turmoil in the local church. Third, never compromise Bible authority in the name of doing good. The religious world at large, and sadly too many of our own brethren, urge us to consider how much good is being done when we challenge them about their unscriptural practices. We must remember Samuel's famous rebuke to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Or to put it another way, you aren't really doing good if you aren't adhering to Bible authority. Fourth, be careful about assuming that special programs are essential to achieving growth. Too many disciples apparently think that nothing is being done if there are not specially organized efforts in behalf of this or that artificially designated group within the congregation. This is particularly evident in regards to programs for the young people. However, even denominational church growth experts are proclaiming that, quote, today's modern concept of youth ministry is a 50-year failed experiment, unquote. That's via the Christian Post. Actually, this institutionalized view of activity hurts the real productivity of a congregation by causing members to sit back and wait for someone to organize something rather than using their own initiative to get God's work done. Finally, do not imagine that the church is not growing and active simply because you don't see something happening. Often the most positive work done in a local congregation is done by quiet, humble servants who are simply out there caring for the sick, encouraging the weak, sharing the gospel with others, and so forth. They're not trying to make a big splash. They're just doing their best to accomplish all they can. They're not doing their work, quote, to be seen of men. Matthew 6, verse 1. Active? Growing? Yes, we must be. But let's evaluate our progress as God does and not as man does. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We encourage you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Check out our sermon podcast. There'll be about, uh, what is that, uh, six sermons, seven sermons coming your way. Yeah. Later tonight in that feed uh, on the College Youth Sermon Podcast, sign-up resources or iTunes are the ways you find out about uh, the, the sermon podcast if you're not already subscribed. 
Check it out. We're talking about uh, an article tonight, 12 Reasons Why Baptism is Not Essential for Salvation. And uh, we're up to number three. Real quick, before we go to number three, I wanted to catch Kent's comments about John's baptism. That's the one we were just talking about. He said, John's baptism was not New Testament baptism and did not bring one into a condition of absolute remission of sins that is found in the Lord's church. Acts 19, verse 1 and following. However, such was for the remission of sins in that it was a baptism of preparation wherein those in Israel could repent of sin and make preparation to receive the Christ when he would be preached. Mark 1, verse 1 following. The baptism of John pointed to the cross of Christ wherein individuals could make preparation for Christ and his kingdom, the church. It is interesting to note the fact that in Luke 7, he's got the verse I was looking for, Luke 7, beginning verse 29, drew a contrast between those who accepted their responsibility to make preparation for the coming of Christ in receiving John's baptism and those who rejected the counsel of God in refusing John's baptism. So Kent had that in his email. I didn't know what that verse I was looking for. Okay. Luke 7, verse 30. All right, and the Chris in the U.K. says that uh, John's baptism was for repentance. Being sorry for sin doesn't save anyways. Well, Back to the passage at hand, uh, uh, Chris, just would like to reference you to Mark 1, verse 4. Jesus came baptizing in the wilderness, and I'm sorry, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. It wasn't uh, for repentance, it was for the remission of sins, and uh, so uh, the wording is different there. But uh, repentance is necessary in order to be saved. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Well, perishing is the opposite of being saved. So, yes, you do have to be sorry for sins. You have to repent. But more than, sorry, more than sorry. More than sorry. I mean, that repentance. may be what yeah. Chris was emphasizing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay. All right. Real quickly, let's move on. So we've covered just two out of 12 arguments uh, by Dr. Robert Morey. Reasons why baptism, he says, is not essential for salvation. Let's go to number three. He said Jesus never baptized anyone, John 4, verse 2. If baptism is essential for salvation, why didn't Jesus baptize anyone? Since he did not baptize anyone, how did he save anyone? Mm-hmm. If baptism is essential for salvation, that's his argument. Okay. Uh, well, let's go to that text. He he referenced uh, John 4, John verse 2. Four, but let's read the whole context yep. there. Uh, because I think that would what he the point the part that he quoted would leave a misimpression. John four verse one, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. All right, so the verse before the one. That is, that is quoted in the article, says Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. He didn't personally do the baptizing himself. That was done by his agents, his disciples. But the text says he did make and baptize more disciples than John. And so I think it's a little bit uh, deceptive use of the text to go yeah. at it that way. There is this principle of agency. When you act in behalf of someone else, it is as though that person you're acting for is doing the deed. Uh, if if I sent you to pay a bill for me, I gave you the money and, and said, go, go to such and such a place, see this person, and pay this bill. So you carry the money and you hand it over. That's actually me paying the bill. You're the agent by which I get the job done. Right. And that's all that we read there. Jesus didn't actually physically do the baptizing, but his agents did it in his behalf. He was facilitating it with his teaching. They were doing it in his behalf, in his name. Again, we're talking about a different baptism at this point, but if baptism wasn't important in that time, why was Jesus' teaching leading up to that? Why was he teaching people that they needed to be baptized? Because after and, and they heard have, his teaching... And, and, and having his disciples do it. Right. So it, it does not prove the point. Yeah. All I right. think that one's pretty easy to All answer. Right. It's, get, uh, so we can move on. Get Kent. He says, It is true, however, God has never placed the importance upon the one administering baptism. While there's no record of Jesus baptizing any individuals, his disciples baptized according to his direction. And he did affirm that baptism was essential to salvation. And he referenced John 4, 1 through 2, and Mark 16, verse 16. Well, you gotta, yeah, you can't get around what Jesus said about the matter in Mark 16, 16, which I'm sure we'll cover as we go along. And I don't remember, I don't, not sure I recognize uh, or uh, understand all of Chris's argument, but he says, 
the baptism is what's important, not the baptizer. And I think that's the I think that's the point. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's yeah. move on then. Okay. All right. Let's go to number four. That was a quick one, so we can move faster here. Number four. Paul clearly states that baptism is not part of the gospel preaching. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. First Corinthians one, beginning verse fourteen. Then in First Corinthians fifteen, beginning verse one, when he summarized the gospel, he made no mention of baptism. Uh, he says, "I made note to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you: that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he raised the third day." This is in agreement with Acts twenty, verse twenty-one, where he sum- summarized his preaching as repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can baptism be essential to the gospel when it? How can baptism be essential to salvation when it is not part of the gospel? All right. So what about this? Uh, okay, we got the old, the old faithful uh, Paul. Christ sent Paul not to baptize argument, yeah. but there's a new twist on this one uh, because he says he tries to reference the go- or tie the gospel in here with the, the in that passage where he wasn't to baptize but to preach the gospel. So then there must be two different things here. Well, first. We've talked about this passage on the Virgin Bible study before. You know, it's, it, I think one of the things we wanted to point out here is these are not new arguments. These are arguments that have been made and answered you know, plenty of times before. So I wouldn't want anybody, you know, we, we publicized this man's website in our update. And I wouldn't want anybody to be shaken in their faith because this guy, oh, man, this guy's come up with something that's never been heard before. These are old arguments. Right, right. And this is an old argument. Uh and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 14, uh, I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Well, wait a minute. If he baptized Crispus and Gaius, and then he goes on to say he probably also baptized uh, the household of Stephanus, then he actually did do some baptizing. Yeah. The reason why he said, I'm glad I didn't personally do more of that baptizing is because in the verses just before that, he talked about how people there were erroneously calling themselves after men's names. And he didn't want to develop a personal following. He was trying to point everyone to Christ. And then in that in that vein, he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That is one of those classic not-but passages. Yeah. Uh, and and in, in that kind of grammatical construction in the New Testament, we realize that it is not a complete prohibition on the first but an emphasis of the second. Paul said, it wasn't important that I baptize. It was important that I preach. Yeah. Who baptizes is not important. Preaching the gospel is important. Okay. Excuse now, then, so he then, then the author goes in and he tries to look here. He tries to make a distinction then between baptism and the gospel because he wasn't to baptize, but he was to preach the gospel. And then he goes over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where Paul summarizes the gospel, or gives a synopsis of that, where he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, he's declaring to them the gospel, and he summarizes the death the of Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, if but, it's if it's if it's not included in that summary, are we to conclude that it's not the gospel? Oh, but you know what? I didn't notice even in those verses. I didn't read the word faith, and I didn't read the word repentance or confession or confession. And he believes in all of those things. So this is not this is not a total summary of the gospel. He's saying the gospel that I preached to included the truth about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But that's not the whole of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, I think a really good place to look is in Acts chapter 8 when Philip taught the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, it says, you know, Philip met up with the eunuch. The eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He was actually reading Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering of the Savior. Uh, It says Philip opened his mouth, verse 35 of Acts 8. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He preached Jesus. The preaching of Jesus included the necessity of baptism. How would the eunuch have known to even ask 
to be baptized if that was not included in Philip's preaching of Jesus. You preach Jesus, you preach the doctrine of Christ. You preach Jesus, you preach things, including baptism for the remission of sins. All right. Uh, Guest 366 uh, asked the question, Paul made a distinction between baptism and gospel in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. For Paul didn't, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's also, actually verse 17, yeah. Okay. Now, is, again, we're saying that's not a distinction. 366 says it is a distinction. Um, also, Ananias called Saul Brother Saul before he was baptized. With the laying on of the hands, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, he also called him Brother Saul before he laid on hands, correct? Before he received the whole the, the laying on the hands, he would have been a brother in the and sense that they were national. Jewish, Jewish brethren. You know, yeah. you know. Sometimes we use that expression not to mean a brother in Christ, but you know, you know, if I saw a stranger on the street and we and and he was mad about something, I said, "Hey, calm down, brother." You know, he's a he's a fellow man. He's a brother in that sense. There's lots of ways in which the word brother is used, and that would not necessarily mean that he was a brother in Christ. Now. Uh, what about, uh, uh, guess 366 says, the, chides us that we may be not going to deal with Matthew chapter 3, where John the Baptist said, uh, I, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What about Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit baptism? We believe that that happened, but that Holy Spirit baptism was not for the remission of sins, and it wasn't for everyone. In fact, the the, the Jesus did the ascend Holy Spirit baptism, but it was only ever for a select few people. It was a promise, never a command. The apostles were were promised Holy Spirit baptism in Acts chapter one. They were told to remain in Jerusalem. For the promise of the Holy Spirit baptism. Notice, he says in Acts 1 verse 4, He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, Ye have heard of me. John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That wasn't to all men. That was to the apostles. And it included the requirement of being in Jerusalem so they could get it. They received that promise. In chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues and preach the gospel of salvation. The only other instance that we recorded instance of Holy Spirit baptism we have of that is in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and his household, the first Gentile converts to Christ, they received the Holy Spirit. Peter, telling about that in Acts chapter 11, he says in verse 15, as I began to speak the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? The the household of Cornelius received, Gentiles received the Holy Spirit baptism as a confirmation that the gospel was to go unto all mankind, not just to the Jews. But I think it's interesting there that Paul says, or Peter rather, Peter says, the only thing I knew to compare this to is what happened to us back on Pentecost. Actually, Acts 10 was eight or ten years after Pentecost. Over all that time, Peter didn't say the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he'd been falling on us all, every Christian, all along, ever since Pentecost. He didn't say that. He said he fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And so Jesus did send Holy Spirit baptism. It was representatively upon the Jews in the case of the apostles, and it was representatively upon the Gentiles through the household of Cornelius. But Holy Spirit baptism was never for all, never commanded of all, only a promise and only ever selectively done uh, as we have just indicated. All right, 877-381-4567. Wow, way over time. Uh, shall we get the last break, or shall we yeah, yeah, keep let's going? Grab the last, let's, break. last break. Then we get back. We'll uh, we'll continue. Um, so can't you can't you can't take and separate the two. The action of baptism was not uh, not the command. He wasn't commanded to baptize. He was commanded to preach. The baptism 
was the response of those who heard the preaching. We can go back to Mark 16, verse 16 again. He that uh, they were going, verse 15, told to go and preach the gospel. The response of the listeners in verse 16 was the baptism. Paul wasn't commanded to baptize. It, that wasn't his uh, prerogative. His Anybody prerogative. could baptize. But his prerogative was to preach, and that's the prerogative of anyone. And he was an inspired apostle. He had a special mission as an inspired apostle of Christ, specifically to go to the Gentiles. That was his assignment. Anybody could baptize. Only he could fulfill the inspired work he was given to do to the Gentiles. But again, our mission is not to baptize. Our mission is to preach. The baptism is the response of the listeners. We can't control that. And anybody can baptize. And anybody can baptize. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Uh, Send them in. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the Virtual Bible Study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. 58% of all religiously unaffiliated Americans say religion is not personally important in their lives and believe religion as a whole does more harm than good in society. 22% of the unaffiliated say religion is not personally important to them but believe it is generally more socially helpful than harmful. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. We're not going to get done tonight. We're going to continue the discussion next week, Lord willing, and uh, you'll want to be back for that as we talk about uh, the article, 12 Reasons Why Baptism is Not Essential for Salvation. Some, some good discussion in the chat room. We appreciate that. We're missing some of it. But guest 922 says, Mark 16:16 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be condemned. Two events were so close together they could be summarized in the same verse separated by a colon. But the last part doesn't say believeth not and is baptized not shall be damned. The salvation and the baptism are two separate but consecutive events referencing Acts 2 verse 41. Uh, Again, an, an argument we've heard before. You know, and the answer to that I think is so easy. I don't know why that is a hanging point for some he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So what do you have to do if you want to be saved? Believe and be baptized. Uh, it's a simple grammar. The yeah. word and uh, are they, uh, both conditions in front of baptism. Yeah. I mean, salvation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Notice that you're baptized before salvation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Yeah. Believing and being baptized comes before salvation. Now, the second part of that verse, he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, if I don't believe, I'm obviously not going to be baptized. Right. You know, so you wouldn't have to say, he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. You wouldn't have to say that because it'd be obvious that a person who doesn't believe is not going to be baptized. I, I mean, that's just common sense to me. I, I don't know why people want to try to get hung up on that. That's, that's simple. That, that one's really simple, in, in my opinion. All right. Real quickly, uh, we need to catch Kent's comments about baptism, no part of the gospel. He says, this statement is false. Baptism is a component of the New Testament. The New Testament constitutes the gospel of Christ. Therefore, baptism is a part of the gospel. He references Matthew 28, beginning verse 18, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16, Romans 6, 3, and 4, Galatians 3, 27. And by the way, we could add more. He says, also, the church of the Lord is a New Testament, uh, the church of the Lord is a New Testament or gospel entity. New Testament baptism places one into the universal extension of the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Therefore, baptism is a part of the gospel. Uh, this point involves Baptists in a serious difficulty it, in that it takes baptism to the Baptist. If baptism is not part of the gospel, it's not part of the New Testament. Therefore, by their own line of argumentation, Baptists imply that Baptist churches are not part of the gospel and are not New Testament churches. I'd have to work on that, Kent. I think you're right, but I, my mind is in a, in a fog right now to follow that. But I think that's probably right. All right. Guess 366 says the last verses of Mark probably shouldn't be in the Bible. Heard that argument before as well. And uh, Volumes have been written on that. Volumes have been written on that. And I think the, the overwhelming conclusion is that those verses do deserve to be in, in the New Testament. 
But we can prove the necessity of baptism without Mark 16:16. We 16, don't have 16. to have it, but uh, the scholars are, yeah. put it there. Yeah. Um, and uh, guess 922 says there is too much Bible to contradict the theory that bi- baptism is necessary for salvation. That seems to be a little bit. Uh, I, just, I would have to disagree strongly yeah. with that. Where, where are? Where's the Bible that contradicts the theory that baptism? It's not a theory. It is either a fact or not a fact that baptism is necessary for salvation. Where's the Bible that contradicts that? When when we read Acts two thirty eight, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. First uh, Peter three twenty one, baptism doth also now save us. Uh, Acts twenty two sixteen. Now why tarriest thou? Repent, be baptized, and wash away the uh, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism washes away sins. I mean, when we can multiply the passages that teach baptism and its connection to salvation, how is it that you could say that there's too much Bible contradicting the necessity of baptism? I guess 922 goes on and says, Salvation of the Lord is of the Lord exclusively, not our baptism. Baptism is an ordinance of the church. Uh, where's the Bible for that, that that says that baptism is an ordinance of the church? That would leave the impression. I don't know. I don't know what he means. But I mean, that's not a biblical phrase, ordinance of the church. And I'm not sure what he means by that. But if he suggests that that's something that the church instituted, that's not true. And 9:22 goes on and says, "I don't discount uh, the uh, them. I guess uh, in Mark, I guess they are there for a reason. I think all Scripture needs to be interpreted in context, though. A text without a context is a pretext. We certainly can agree to that." Uh, we t- we cannot take things out of context. And 366 says, I will type this again, Jesus forgave sins in the Gospels, but there's no record of them asking for forgiveness. Uh, uh, that's it Certainly it was his prerogative. I mean, uh, when... when, well, when well, well, uh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, explain that to me. I'm not sure when, when people came for a healing, Jesus would say, uh, thy sins are forgiven thee. You know, for instance, okay. the man, take up thy bed and walk. Uh, he forgave his sins prior to that. Um, without Jesus, asking, but it's Jesus' prerogative. When Jesus was on earth, he could forgive men in any fashion he chose to. Now that he's not here in person, the only way that we can access forgiveness of sins is by his will and testament, and therefore we have to follow the conditions specified in order to have that gift. Now, if Jesus was here on pers- in person, he could forgive us in any fashion he chose. But now that he has gone and left his will and testament for us, we can only access his blessings in accordance with that will and testament. All right, some other comments here. We're, uh, we're probably not going to get to any more of the uh, arguments by uh, Dr. Moray this, tonight, but uh, Rick says, look at Saul's Tarsus, Acts, 22, Acts, 9, verses, uh, Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. He was told to go into the city, and there he would be told what he must do. I challenge anyone to find anything other than baptism that he was commanded. The only thing recorded that he was told to do was found in Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash, wash away thy sins, sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord in baptism. All right. Uh, and then uh, 922 says, was he talking about the sin of not being baptized because baptism is commanded of all Christians? The church is in transition between Matthew 27 and Acts 10. It would not be appropriate to base doctrine on this transition period, Old Covenant to New Covenant. Well, it was a command for the new covenant there in, in uh, Matthew seven or Matthew, the latter part of Matthew twenty, uh, Matthew and, and Mark. Uh, the church was in trans, or the the new covenant was being preached, and, the, and that was the commands that Jesus left after uh, his death, burial, and resurrection was well, that this needed to be taught. Well, uh, the the implication of that would be that we never read about baptism after Acts chapter ten, and that's not true. We do read about people being baptized after Acts twenty two Acts, Acts ten rather. We do read about okay. All right. Harold uh, 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 in the chat room says baptism is how we die, are buried, and raised with Christ. Romans six verses one through three. I think Romans six verses one three is, one through three is a really good passage. I actually think we die to sin in repentance. When we repent, we're dying. If we die to sin, we buried, and and so you you bury a dead person, and they are raised to walk in newness of life. Repentance is the dying to sin. Uh, the, you you bury the dead person who has died to sin. You ri- you you raise him up in in a likeness of Jesus' resurrection, a, a new man. All right. 
Uh, Harold says, when Jesus ascended into heaven, gave commandments to men, what were they? Acts 1, verse 2, and uh, references uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, or, and uh, Mark 16, 16. And that passage in, Rev- in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, uh, that uh, Christ had been, uh, until the day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles who he had chosen. So these were commandments that were to be followed after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Philip uh, in the chat room comments on this expression, ordinance of the church. He says that's really a, ca- a Catholic concept, and it was handed down to the denominations, and, and the Mormons use that expression as well, but it's not biblical. And a good question here. This will be a good segue into some discussion for next week. Guest 366 says, so is baptism law or symbol? Because if it is either, we cannot be saved by it. Um. Well, we'll, we'll talk, talk about we'll that t- next week. We'll talk week. about the idea of law. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a bigger discussion than we have time for, but certainly you'll want to be back here next week for that. All right, so uh, good discussion tonight. Good comments in the chat room. Appreciate everyone for being in there. And listen, we appreciate those who disagreed, especially tonight. Uh, because, stick with us. Stick yeah, with us. Stick keep, with keep, us. Keep, keep reasoning with us here. Tell others to join. Now, and, and if you're listening in the podcast version, as you probably are, most people do, why not make plans to be back next week live, Thursday evening, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. Um, there are no presidential debates at that point. There are no World Series and actually, games. And the, and the presidential election will thankfully be over by then. There will be nothing to keep you from being here live next week, 9 Eastern, 8 Central, for the virtual Bible study on Thursday evening. Uh, and we can have the discussion. For the, I like what you said at the beginning. These kind of discussions, even though they may uh, be very... Uh, I don't know. Heated. I don't want that. That has a negative connotation. I don't but think it's getting heated. They're, they're but intense, passionate, intense, passionate. Passionate and intense. Yeah. These things are good. It, it causes us to have a better understanding of the scriptures. It causes and other people to be more encouraged. Do, what we've got to be honest to the text. We've got to be honest to the word. It, it, words mean things. And so if they say it, then we've got to accept it. All right. So be back here next week for the discussion. Dad, thank you for a good time, a good discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And uh, Kyle, thanks for being here. It's always good to be here. And uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you make plans to be back here again, as we said, next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.